We the ones. We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Choose your fighter. Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. Some of it was bad, but hopefully you'll you probably piece something together. Outstanding. There's an earthquake in the middle of the podcast. Unbelievable. We're begging for listeners. That's all we do. I got second four. Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. We gonna line up. We gonna play. Tighten up, baby. Welcome in, everyone, to another episode of the Music City Audible podcast presented by Broadway Sports Media, partnered with 440 Sports. I'm Justin Graver. Joining me, as always, is Justin Mello to recap and break down this incredible, surprising, astonishing, awesome Titans win over the Kansas City Chiefs. And then we will look ahead to preview the rematch with the Indianapolis Colts. Justin, what is up, my man? I, I, I think if you forgot one word, it would be dominant. And you, you used every True. every word you could. But man, I mean, what a win. Can't wait to get into it with you. Certainly the most complete game the Titans have played this season. And you almost feel like the score didn't do it justice, right? I mean, it almost felt more dominant, if possible, than a 24-point margin, right? That's That's how great of a game the Titans played. That's how complete it was. I'm excited to get into it with you. We've also got a great guest to come break down the week eight game against the Colts. So we got a loaded episode today, folks. That's right. After we talk through this Chiefs game, we got Zach Hicks joining us. He covers the Colts for Sports Illustrated Indianapolis. So we got Zach on to help us break down this Colts-Titans rematch. But first, let's dive in to the Chiefs game. I should note the Titans have made a few roster moves. Um... Just J-Rob churning the practice squad, as he usually does. Some guys were released. Some guys were added. One guy added back to the practice squad was popular running back Makai Sargent, who was released from the team when Darrington Evans was activated off of injured reserve. So Makai Sargent's back on the practice squad and a few other guys. Anything you want to say about that before we get into the game? No, I mean, I know Sargent's a popular guy in the fan base, Um I had no doubt that they would get him back on the practice squad when they cut him a couple days ago. So a, no surprise there and be a good job by, uh, you know, Robinson to keep him in town. Cause if Evans were to go down or McNichols goes down, you know, both of those guys have been banged up. Then I, I imagine Sergeant would quickly find his way back to the 53 man roster. So for now he'll provide some good depth on, on the practice squad. And uh, I'm sure we haven't seen the last of him. All right. Well, we've talked enough about nonsense. Let's get into this Titans-Chiefs game. The Titans hand the Kansas City Chiefs the biggest loss of the Patrick Mahomes era for them. Mahomes puts up the fewest amount of points he's ever scored in an NFL game. I believe it was the first time he was held under 250 passing yards as well in his career. I mean, a totally dominant as you said at the top performance by this titans defense that is the worst loss the chiefs have had i mean the worst game the chiefs have played since patrick mahomes became a starter i I don't know not to get on this topic do was it worse than the super bowl to tampa bay they scored a touchdown in the super bowl even late (laughs) even the late meaningless touchdown they couldn't even do that in this game because the titans defense was so ferocious that they knocked mahomes out of the game and he cleared concussion protocol on the sidelines and andy reed said he could have come back in but what was the point at that at that point in the game the game's over there's no reason to put mahomes back in and risk an actual potentially serious injury so bud dupree stripped him on his first sack Kevin Byard stripped him on his uh, uh, when he tried to scramble. He actually Mahomes had a pretty sizable gain and a first down on that one. Byard stripped him. 
Titans really stuck it to Mahomes. Let's get into how they were able to beat. Maybe not the greatest of all time when you got Tom Brady doing what he's doing, but the next greatest of all time, right? How'd the Titans shut him down? Let's dive into it. The first thing I want to talk about here is third downs. The Titans only blitzed Patrick Mahomes on one drop back. That means they got pressure with their front four for the majority of this game. And third downs, they really shut down the Chiefs. The Chiefs converted just four of 11 third downs in this game. The Chiefs only had three possessions in the first half. I mean, it, it starts up front, right? And I think you said it. Uh, they blitzed them on one drop back. That was 39 dropbacks, by the way. I believe it was. So one of 39 dropbacks they blitzed him on. And, and well, how do you do that? And how do you get away with that? Well, you, you do it if, if the guys are getting pressure up front. This was the best game that this defensive front has played this season for the Titans. I mean, Harold Landry has been terrific all season long. A lot of these guys have, but Dina Coatry has been amazing. He was incredible in this game. If you go back and watch the film, Autry was completely dominant. Jeffrey Simmons played a good football game. Uh, Bud Dupree, not that the bar was very high, <laughs> but certainly played his best game in a Titans uniform thus far. That yep. that strip sack was a thing of beauty. I mean, that 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 that's coaching tape, right? For for an edge rusher, the way he beat the tackle around the edge was a thing of beauty to get the strip sack. And I believe that was on third down. So yes, Kansas City recovered it, but it forced a punt. So it right. was still a big play. And that was on what their first or second drive, I believe. So uh, I, you, I remember, you know, last week's episode we previewed with Ron Cup, uh, the Chiefs uh, film analyst. We all joked that first defensive stop wins, right? I think we had said. <laughs> Titans got defensive stops on every single drive, essentially, right? So we didn't see that coming. And when they got that first one, I mean, heck, I, I chalked that up as, as a W right there. I said, wow, they stopped them on the first drive of the game. That's huge. Little did we know they were going to go stop them on essentially every single drive right outside of a, a really a, a garbage time field goal, it felt like. So uh, incredible game by this defense, but it really started up front. When you can get, look, it goes back to the Jeff Fisher days, right? I mean, uh, call me crazy, but you remember how those teams got pressure with four. Right. And they had great defenses. They were able to drop everybody back and, and, and really give the quarterback such minimal to work, uh, such minimal space and, and, and field, uh, you know, grass to work with. So when you can get pressure with four, it's the best thing for your defense that, that, that I don't care. You know, football is always changing, but that hasn't changed and that will never change. It, it goes back to 20, 30 years ago. You can get pressure with four. You're golden. And that's what the Titans did on Sunday. And that's what they've done, uh, you know, pretty decently over these last couple of weeks. Yeah, and I mean, for me, it goes back to those Giants Super Bowl wins over the Patriots. I right. always thought about how they were able to get pressure with four. And I tweeted on March 15th, which I believe was the day that Bud Dupree and Danico Autry had agreed to sign deals with the Titans. I tweeted, in my opinion, a great defense starts with a front four that can pressure the quarterback without blitzing. Harold Landry, Jeffrey Simmons, Danico Autry, Bud Dupree, that group should be able to generate pressure. And you know what? The Titans were doing a lot in this game. Bud Dupree didn't play a whole lot. He only played 40% of snaps. He only played 29 plays. But he came in on a lot of third downs. Just big. And like you mentioned, his strip sack was on a third down. And he was out there getting pressure on third down. He was fresh. He didn't have to play run downs and get worn out on those downs. The Titans were actually lining up Ola Adani on one edge and Danico Autry on the other edge with Jeff Simmons and Naquan Jones in the interior with Harold Landry playing like a Sam linebacker in the defensive backfield off the line of scrimmage kind of role on early downs. They did this quite frequently. 
And then on third downs, they would take uh, Naquan Jones out, shift Autry to the inside, and line up Landry and Dupree on the edges. And they were lining up in these extremely wide, spaced-out fronts on these obvious passing downs where Landry was, like, outside the slot receiver he was lined up so far outside with Autry on the other side and or with Dupree on the other side, Autry and Simmons finding gaps in the middle to rush up. But this kind of huge spacing line across the line helped contain Patrick Mahomes in the pocket, helped him from being able to break outside the pocket and create plays. The Titans corralled Mahomes in that backfield, forced him to do the thing where he likes to go backwards, but without letting him get outside and, and really took away. I think he only had one play where he was like scrambling out of the pocket and threw it across the field to a receiver. And it was that one that was caught over the middle sort of by Byron Pringle, where he kind of was rolling left and threw it back to his right. That's the only play I really even remember that Mahomes was able to make a play outside of contain. And, and you know what's really interesting about that? Is I'm sure that that was you know probably specific to Patrick Mahomes and, and trying to contain him uh, inside the pocket. But as bad as they've been in previous games with off-script plays, and you saw it against you know Seattle, and yes, Russell Wilson is the king of that, but you saw it against Seattle, you saw it against the Jets when Zach Wilson did it. Big time. You saw it against Buffalo with that big touchdown to Cole Beasley right before the half. They right. have been very good, right, preventing the off-script plays. Heck, I wonder if that's something they should employ a little more going forward and just make sure you keep that containment because – uh, it works well. Look, to, to the name of the game today, every team is looking for a quarterback that can create off script, right? It, it is the flavor of the month. And again, Russell Wilson, Josh Allen, Zach Wilson, they've seen it so many times this season. Uh, I, I wonder if that's something they do more of going forward. Yeah, and it's crazy to me that you have a guy like Greg Mabin gets signed off of Arizona's practice squad on like Tuesday, I think, because the Titans played on Monday. So it couldn't even happen until Tuesday. They have one less day to get this guy ready. He played every single defensive Everyone. snap, was only targeted twice, gave up one catch for, I think it was six yards. The reason that they're able to survive with Greg Mabin playing every snap on defense is because they can get pressure with four and drop into these zone coverages. And they mix in a lot of man too. The Titans actually played a good deal of man on third downs. But because they were able to get pressure with four guys, they had extra help. They had two safeties over the top. They had a linebacker robbing over the middle. Whatever it was that they were able to put extra guys in coverage to help out these inexperienced and less talented cornerbacks that they had. But I want to talk about Dane Crookshank's ability, who they matched up one-on-one -on -one against the best tight end in the game, Travis Kelsey, multiple times in this matchup. And Crookshank, for the most part, Held his own. I w would even go as far as to say shut Kelsey down for the most part. I mean, Kelsey was pretty much the most productive member of the Chiefs offense in this game. But Dane Crookshank, and it wasn't even about like being able to cover Kelsey for an entire rep. It's about jamming him at the line, throwing off the route timing between he and Mahomes such that by the time Kelsey is able to break open, which he did against Dane Crookshank, Quite a bit. But by the time he was able to get open, Patrick Mahomes had either come off of that read or he was being swarmed because the Titans were able to get pressure. So this combination of rushing only four for most of the game, dropping seven guys into coverage and actually getting pressure with those four. That's how the Titans were able to hold the Chiefs to three points combined with extremely opportune turnovers. For example, Kevin Byard's turnover where when he forced Mahomes fumble. That was a chance for the Chiefs to put a drive together, to get back in the game, 
Mahomes was had crossed midfield, had picked up a first down. That was the first time the Chiefs had crossed midfield all game. They were they were potentially in position to get back in the game. And Kevin Byard said that he that he said this in this post-game interview or press conference that he could tell Mahomes was carrying the ball with pretty poor ball security. And he was thinking to his to himself as he approached that he was gonna knock it out. And what did he do? He comes up and knocks it out. And we mentioned Harold Landry's sack earlier. I just want to shout out both of these guys. They're pretty much the leaders of your defense. And here they are making huge plays at the perfect times. Landry is now up to second in the NFL in total sacks with seven and a half. The only player ahead of him is Miles Garrett. Miles Garrett had a four and a half sack game because he got to play against Justin Fields in his first start when Matt Nagy was leaving Garrett one-on-one against bad offensive tackles for the whole game. So Garrett picks up four and a half sacks in that one game. That's the only reason Landry's not leading the NFL in sacks right now. And then Kevin Byard is third in interceptions. He didn't even have an interception in this game, but currently sits third in the league. He did force that fumble. There's some guys on this defense that are absolutely balling out. I know you want to talk about a few too. Yeah, firstly, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot for me to cover there. But firstly, you talked about Greg Maybin playing all 72 snaps on Sunday. You, you talked about why. I want to bring up a comment that he made uh, after the game. Jim Wyatt tweeted out saying that the game plan was pretty simple. I knew most of it coming in since it was like since it's like my tenth time here. You know, he's been on and off the practice squad and the active roster several times since 20. 19 even i believe um but he said that and i quote and it, it kind of you know reiterates our comments that game was the defensive back's dream because of the d-line pressure so i mean he said it himself right why is he able to play 72 snaps and, and play to that level it's when the front four is getting pressure uh, what can i say there about harold landry and kevin byer that you didn't already a couple of guys you didn't talk about i'll throw in david long and i'll throw in dina Coatri. i know we've talked about autry a lot but what an underrated signing he's been. Uh, not only the player, but there are so many things I think that you have to get right. It might sound cliche, but there are so many things you have to get right when you're making a free agent addition to your team, right? Well, how does he fit in? He's tough. He's nasty. He's versatile. You've seen the way they've used him on the interior. You've seen them kick him out on the outside, which they've done, I think, a lot more than any of us really anticipated they would do before the year. I think you'd probably agree on that. He's been great in that area. And you talk about the relationship between him and Jeffrey Simmons. Don't you get the impression that these are just two guys that get each other, that absolutely love playing together, that have probably struck up a friendship and maybe even a mentorship with Austin being quite a bit older than Simmons, but they're both from Mississippi. They both played at Mississippi State. I just get the impression that these guys absolutely love lining up uh, next to one another on every Sunday on basically a snap by snap basis. And they knocked it out the park with Autry. I mean, he he just fits in every sense of it. He's played in the division already. Uh, it's it, He gets to go back to Indianapolis this Sunday, by the way. So you know he's going to be fired up for that one. He seemed a little bit bitter when they weren't, you know, they let him go and they didn't quite match the offer that Tennessee made to him. So I have to shout out Dino Autry. He's been unbelievable. And and David Long was, was incredible in this game as well. I mean, he was all over the field. Heck, you saw him mocking Travis Kelsey on one play. That was so he, funny. That was hilarious. And, and you know what? It was... Biases aside, it was a great non-call. I don't know what Kelsey's looking for there. I thought it was textbook coverage from Crookshank. It was physical. It was tough. It was at the line, right? It just 
He's got to be yeah. able to get off it. It is what it is. So it just kind of showed how quickly and early the Titans got under uh, Kansas City's skin, how they irritated them, and how they played a game that Kansas City clearly did not want to play. So, but David Long, right. that, that was hilarious. But he played a great game, Mother. I mean, he made several tackles. You, you see him, there was one circulating Twitter, I think it's where he beats Joe Thunny right off the line, where he just disengages immediately, right? That's one of the better guards in football, makes a tackle either at or behind the line of scrimmage behind. in the run game. That was, uh, well, I, know, I believe, the a tackle for loss I mean, in the run game. I believe it was I, the Chiefs' second possession, and it was second and ten, and it set up a third and eleven. That I believe, if I'm not mistaken, led to that Bud Dupree strip sack. There you go. Yeah, I mean, I mean, certainly uh, led to something because Kansas City did nothing with those uh, first uh, those first half possessions. So, uh, and then you talk about uh, the interception as well, right? That first of all, shout out to Rashawn Evans, definitely the best play he's ever made in the passing game. I don't know how he came up with that ball. That, that he. His fingertips just took that thing right off the turf. Uh, but how does it happen? Right? It was David Long who gets the pass breakup yeah. on the play, right, Mahomes? I thought Mahomes kind of forced it a little. Uh, that That's a play. Again, we, we go back to him pressing a lot this year. He's pressing more than ever because he knows the margin for error is not there with the way the defense is performing. But he rolls out the receiver, and Long gets his fingertips on it, bats it into the air, and Evans plucks it before it hits the turf. So, uh, Long was terrific in this game. Autry was terrific. And, and Rashawn Evans played a pretty good football game as well. Yeah, Rashawn Evans didn't give us anything to complain about. He picked off that pass you were just talking about. He scooped up a fumble. I believe it was Mikkel Hardman's fumble towards the end of the, one of the last plays of the game. I was mistaken. I was mistaken. Bud Dupree's strip sack was on the first drive. The play that happened after David Long's tackle for loss was Autry getting to Mahomes, wrapping him up, and Mahomes throwing it away under pressure, incomplete, leading to the Chiefs' second punt. We haven't talked at all about the offense yet, and I think one of the other crucial factors in the Titans coming away with this victory wasn't just that the offense played well and scored on its first five possessions, by the way. The Titans' offense came out and scored on their first five possessions and put up a 27-0 lead on the Chiefs heading into halftime, at which point the game felt over already even against the chiefs who no lead is safe against the chiefs it it pretty much felt like this game was wrapped up heading into halftime but let's talk about this offense because talked about how the defense came up with timely stops stripping patrick mahomes right when they really needed to getting that interception that david long tipped into rashawn evans diving hands the offense did similar had similar moments especially on third downs I really want to talk about the third down disparity between these two teams. The Chiefs were four for 11. I mentioned that already. The Titans were eight of 12, converted 67% of their third downs, two thirds, nearly 70%. I mean, that's the real reason that Kansas City wasn't able to get back in this game was because in the first half, when Tennessee's backed up deep in their own territory, it's like third and nine or something like that. They run a screen to Jeremy McNichols. McNichols accelerates right at the line to gain and crosses it just barely as he's being tackled. First down Titans drive stays alive on a third. And I think it was seven from uh, near the red zone. Tannehill drops back, has single coverage on the outside, floats one down the left sideline to A.J. Brown for a touchdown. That was a huge third down that they came up with a conversion on. There was another play in the first half where Tannehill, I think it was like third and four, maybe third and six Tannehill, kind of steps up in the pocket and runs forward and like there's contact with a defender right near the line to gain, but Tannehill dives forward, falls forward and sticks the ball over the, the first down marker. 
first down Titans. They keep the drive alive. It was plays like that all game the Titans offense made. And Ryan Tannehill, who I believe started the game hitting his first 10 or 11 passes, was absolutely on fire in this matchup. And uh, it was really nice to see when the defense, who did a pretty tremendous job really stopping Henry, 29 carries for 86 yards for Henry. Of course, he lost like five yards on his last carry or something like that. But um, a lot of carries for not a lot of yards ended Henry's 100-yard game streak at five. It's nice to see Tannehill and A.J. Brown, and even though Julio Jones only had two catches for 38 yards and another catch and run that was called back right before that McNichols conversion, even though Julio only had those two plays, they were two pretty big conversions. It just felt nice to see the passing game kind of carry this team when the running game wasn't exactly there every time they needed it to be. Uh, First off, Ryan Tannehill and A.J. Brown were terrific A.J. Brown, man, finally starting to come alive. Don't look now, but 225 receiving yards over his last two games. Those are wins over the Chiefs and Bills, by the way, including the receiving touchdown against Kansas City. That was a terrific throw and catch. Um, Nice to see him look to be about 100% healthy and producing at the level that we know he's capable of producing. Uh, and, 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 And something that we haven't talked about enough, was it refreshing for you? Because I, I know it was for me to see the Titans so thoroughly dominate this game, win this game without needing Derrick Henry to go for 150, 200 rushing yards. It was so nice to see them win in quote unquote, a different manner, right. Than what people think of them. It's very stereotypical in a sense, right? Well, every, every win it's because Henry goes for 200 Henry, what 85 rushing yards in this game, 86 86 rushing. They did a great job on him. Yeah. on 29 carries. I mean, he he carried the ball a lot. We're back to that 29 carries a game pace. We talked about a couple weeks ago that we don't really necessarily love, you know, Henry only had 20 carries against the bills. And here he comes right back six days later, 29 against the chiefs, 29, fairly unproductive carries. Although watching the game again, for a second time, it did feel like he was ripping off eight to 10 yard runs fairly frequently, but there was just a lot of zero to one yard runs. And then I mentioned his last run of the game went for like a five yard loss or something crazy. But yeah, that this is like you said, where we'll wrap up this, uh, this game recap here is talking about this last little bit on the offense, but they did it. They won in a way that we haven't really seen them win much of in the Ryan Tannehill era, which is on Tannehill's arm and on the defense, like the defense hasn't had a dominant game like that either. Like to see them both show up in the same game is like this team could make noise in the playoffs. No doubt about it. We obviously expected that, but. And and that's how I kind of want to close it. And, and, and I hope I get to rile our listeners up in a good way, of course, because you should be extremely excited about this football team right now, because I was thinking about it. You've got Ryan Tannehill obviously playing great football at the level that we've, uh, we're accustomed to seeing him play since he came to Tennessee. You've got Derrick Henry in the MVP conversation and showing absolutely no signs of slowing down as he's off to the best start of his career. You've now seen A.J. Brown uh, go for 225 receiving yards over his last two and finally look like the player we know he's capable of being. Heck, that he has been in his entire career. Just got off to a slow start this year with the hamstring injury, but you know, he's on a roll right now in his last two. And the Chipotle. Julio Jones is healthy and he's playing and he's contributing. And, and he really is. He had that 50 yard bomb against Buffalo. And I thought he played a pretty good game against Kansas city and probably could have done more if they, if they used them more, you've got an O-line that's uh, unfortunately banged up, but the pass protection has gotten a lot better. Ryan Tannehill has not been touched nearly as often as he was early on in the year. The run blocking is firing on all cylinders. 
The defensive side of the ball, you got four rushers up front that are getting after the quarterback. They're allowing the rest of the, they're making the defense's job easier, right? On all other levels, the linebackers are getting to do their thing. The secondary is playing at a high level. You're getting Christian Fulton back in a couple of weeks. You're getting Jayon Brown back in a couple of weeks. If that front four keeps getting pressure the way they're getting pressure and they don't have to use all these blitz packages and, and, and stuff, look out. Don't I forget mean, the only Imani thing that Hooker. can derail this team right now. I'm sorry, go ahead. Don't forget Amani Hooker's coming back soon. So, Amani Hooker coming back as well. So there are so many reasons for you to be excited about this football team right now on both sides of the ball. So yeah, they're they're only getting healthier outside of the few guys they've lost for the season. Taylor Lewan should be back. Julio only played 42% of snaps in this game. He only played 29 snaps on offense. So, again, if this game had been close in the second half, I think we would have seen a more productive Julio Jones. We just didn't need to see that in this game because the Titans were winning by so many points and continuing to get stops on defense and even forcing Kansas City to kick a field goal down 27-0, to and they kicked another field goal down 27-3. to Like, what are you doing, Kansas City? Just go for it at that point. But, yeah, it was great to see this team get this incredible win against what many thought was the the top AFC team with along with the Bills coming into this season. Obviously, the Chiefs have stumbled out the gate here, but their schedule lightens up quite a bit. So I do expect that, you know, the Chiefs and the Bills will find their way into the play. Obviously, the Bills, who the Titans beat last week, and the Chiefs will probably find their way into the playoffs. But let's talk about the playoff picture really quick here because we're seven games through the season. We're approaching the halfway point here over the next couple of weeks. The Titans, if the playoffs started today, currently hold the three seed. They lose the tiebreaker to the Bengals and the Raiders, who have better conference records than the Titans do. And uh, actually, the Raiders and the Titans have the same conference record, but the Raiders win some strength of schedule tiebreaker in there. So all that is subject to change, of course, over the next few weeks. But it's crazy when you look at the top four teams in the AFC right now. The division leaders right now are the Bengals. The Raiders, obviously the Bills and the Titans we expected, but we got the Bengals and the Raiders up there. The Chargers are currently in the playoffs. And then rounding out these this playoff race right now is the Browns in the seventh seed. Just so Titans fans know who to root against, basically from this point for the through the end of the year, for the Titans to get the one seed, which they're tied for and very much in play for, which I I mean, frankly, didn't really expect them to be. At this point, I mean, we maybe we should have expected them to be given the ease of division foes that they get to face and stuff like that. But have, after beating the Bills and the Chiefs, you know, they look like a potential one seed. So root against Titans fans, the Bengals and the Raiders and the Ravens and maybe the Bills, not so much because the Titans have the tiebreaker there and the Chargers for the uh, Titans uh, to end up with that one seed. I mean, call me naive, call me whatever, but I, I don't see the Bengals or the Raiders or... Even the Ravens, truthfully, I don't see those three teams as a, a true um, uh, uh, danger uh, for the number one seed. For me, it's the Chargers and the Bills, especially the Bills. The Chargers, I, I know they got their butts kicked by the Ravens a few weeks ago, so you might be saying, huh, why the Chargers? But they have a soft schedule. They have an incredibly soft schedule down the stretch. So, And they've already I, beaten I think the, the number Chiefs one once. Seed will, I'm sorry? And they've already beaten the Chiefs once. Right. Uh, I'm assuming the number one seed uh, will come down to Titans, Bills, Chargers. Those are the three teams that I ultimately expect to be in the mix. I, I don't know. The, the Bengals and, and Raiders, certainly not, in my opinion. And, and the Ravens, I, I lean towards no, but I, I maybe wouldn't rule it out all the way. 
And that win over the Bills that the Titans have could be the potential thing that decides who gets a first round bye in the playoffs. I mean, obviously there's a lot of football left to be played, but that win is going to be huge for this for the Titans in terms of seeding. If we look at just right now the the playoff picture, this is from the New York Times playoff calculator. Uh, Broadway's own Easton Freeze tweeted this out earlier today, so kind of borrowing from Easton here. But the Titans' current odds to win the division, 81%. Now, as we transition here into our Colts preview, if the Titans win the game on Sunday against Indianapolis, their odds to win the division jump to 97%. The Colts would sit at a 4% chance to win the division if the Titans win this game. However, if they lose this game, the Titans will go from 81% odds of winning all the way down to 69% chance of winning the division. So they have 16 possible percentage points to gain from a win and an uh, additional 12 to potentially lose with a loss. So this game could swing the division almost entirely. If the Titans win it, though, they basically, not not technically, but effectively lock up the division in week eight. That would be a remarkable achievement for this team and one that would really position them for a deep playoff run, in my opinion. This is a huge game. It, it, it really is a big game. And it's going to be a totally different ball game, in my opinion, against the Colts. I mean, you're going on the road. It's a division game against a team that's starting to play better football. So, this is a really big win. I mean, you covered it there. It's going to have massive ramifications on, on who wins the division. Uh, with that said, I think we should get to our guest. Let's bring Zach Hicks on. Well, one thing I want to say before we bring Zach Hicks on is, is that I agree. This is going to be a vastly, vastly different match than the first time around. I think an objective observer would look at that first Titans-Colts game that the Titans did win by nine points, two possessions or whatever. They turned the ball over. It felt like every time they got near the red zone, it felt like. It's not actually, but that's what it felt like. But the Colts, you know, uh, Carson Wentz was dealing with two sprained ankles. Quentin Nelson was working through injuries. Darius Leonard wasn't himself. This Colts seems way different than the team that the Titans saw in week three in Nashville. So while the Colts are going to play a lot better, I think, this time around, the Titans have also got to play a lot better in order to, I mean- to come away. Let's not forget that it'll also be a a fairly different Titans team as well. I mean, A.J. Brown left that game in the first quarter, uh, early in the first quarter, from what I recall. And Julio Jones was largely held out of the second half. So uh, it'll be a pretty different Titans team, too. That's true. The last note I want to make before we bring on Zach is that Derrick Henry has a chance to keep an incredible streak going. Henry has run for over 100 yards against the Colts in each of his last four games, including a 178-yard three-touchdown performance at Indianapolis last November. So Derrick Henry, the the Colts have been okay at stopping Derrick Henry. He was held under 100 yards in each of the four games before these last four But last four games, uh, Henry has had the Colts number, and the Titans will hope it continues on Sunday. Anything else to add um, that you want to say that you don't want Zach to hear before we bring him on? (laughs) (laughs) I think that pretty much does it. I mean, let's bring Zach on. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, you know, he's been a buddy of mine for a couple years, and and we can get at each other sometimes with with a fun Titans-Colts rivalry. But let's do the real thing now and uh, bring our rivalry to our audience. All right, let's bring in our guest then. 
We are excited to welcome Zach Hicks onto the show. You can find him on Twitter at Zach Hicks too. He's the lead analyst for Sports Illustrated Colts page, a film guy for a Broncos Mile High Huddle page, and a contributor for Cover One. Knows his football stuff, especially film study. Zach, thanks for joining the show tonight. How are you doing? Doing all right. You know, Colts won two games in a row. And, you know, fan bases are very happy when your team is winning. So I can't complain too much right now. Three of the last four since that Titans game. And it looked for a while like they were going to beat Baltimore, too, on Monday night. Yeah. It's, you know, it, I will say, like, that's a tough, tough loss. But to come back and win two games pretty decisively back to back after that, I think it's, it's a great resolve by that team, uh, even though they're against two teams that aren't very good. Uh, but uh, after that loss, uh, you could definitely see the season spiraling and they bounced back pretty well. Yeah, it's been encouraging, I think. And that actually leads me right to my first question, which is, I was going to say, the Colts hardly look like the same team that we saw in week three against the Titans and especially the two weeks before that dealing with injuries and Wentz, you know, didn't play a lot in the preseason and training camp. And I'm just curious from your perspective, what has changed? What is making the difference for the Colts over these last few weeks? Yeah. You know, I, I'm not one to make excuses, obviously and the Titans are a very good team, which I will definitely say, but that week three game was so weird on so, so many levels where the Titans were clearly outplaying the Colts the entire game, but the Colts were only in it because the Titans were committing so many dumb turnovers uh, and you have to think that, you know, Carson Wentz with, you know, at least one working ankle probably wins that game for the Colts. I mean, the Colts lost by, it was a one possession game in the fourth quarter with the Titans turning the ball over every single time and their top two receivers were out. So uh, that was just a weird game. Eric Fisher was just coming back still from his, his injury. Uh, Brandon Smith might be back this week and he, you know, he was out back then. They were starting Julian Davenport, uh, who is now on the bench. They have a new right tackle. And Matt Pryor, who's starting, who hasn't allowed a sack, uh, or Julian Davenport was allowing multiple sacks a game. <laughs> it was it was brutal. Uh, so yeah, I mean, just just on offense alone, Carson Wentz is healthy. He's playing really really well over the last four weeks. I think um, DVOA has him. You know, they don't do it each week. They, we can't see their individual rankings, but he's gone up from I think the 29th quarterback in the league back in week three. Uh, that I think he's now like their 16th or 17th rated quarterback in the league. So you can see he's, he's increased the play pro football focus. Wow. I think has him as like the 10th rated passer in the NFL. Uh, so a lot of, a lot of stats, a lot of sites are recognizing his recent play, even if they are coming against poor defenses. Uh, so having a healthy and, and performing Carson Wentz is big. Michael Pittman jr. Has, I mean, you guys probably saw it on Sunday night and saw it on the, in the Ravens game. Um, the on that Monday night game, uh, he's really emerged as a top target for this Colts offense, and he's having just an outstanding year. He's on pace for I think uh, 1,200 yards right now. Mm-hmm. Jonathan Taylor has now propelled himself up to the second leading rusher in the NFL. Uh, and yeah, the offensive line is just getting healthy, and they're playing much better than they did in that Week Three game. Now, I'm not saying that they're going to be super successful against this Titans front that's that's playing really well right now, but they are playing better than that that. I want to say piss poor unit that they had in, in week three. Uh, so that's looking good. And then on defense, you know, it, it it's still kind of the struggles are there, but Quiddy pay is back and he's definitely their best pass rusher off the edge. Uh, Rocky Sin might be back for this game where he missed late, late in that last one. Uh, the only real downgrade that the Colts have from that week three game was uh, Julian Blackman was healthy in that one. Uh, he is out for the year with a torn Achilles. So, uh, they're one of their best coverage guys on the back end. Their best deep safety is out. But for the most part, yeah, this Colts team is rolling right now. I mean, they 
luckily they had a couple bad teams that they had to play against here. But uh, yeah, the, the team's definitely in much better shape now than what they were going into that week three game. It seems not too abnormal for a Frank Reich team to kind of start slow and then find its way as the season goes on. Has he won a game in week one yet with Indy? The Colts haven't since like 2011, <laughs> I think, or no, not 2011. are all. I think I want to say 2010 or 2009, maybe. They they wow. don't win week one games. It's been a thing <laughs> forever. Uh, but yeah, Frank Reich has definitely not won one with the Colts. But they definitely are getting better. And I don't know if you saw this today. Sportsline, everybody does power rankings on Tuesdays, but Sportsline put out a power rankings tweet today that had the Colts at six, right above the Titans at seven. And I'm curious to hear your reaction to this power ranking. <laughs> they put a three and four team at six and their only wins are coming against bottom dwellers. I don't know about that. <laughs> the Bengals uh, were nowhere to be found. Uh, There's a lot of teams missing from this list. <laughs> Bengals just steamroll the, the Ravens and nothing. But Not a top yeah, 10 team. <laughs> I would say the Colts are, uh, I would say in that 15 or so range. Uh, I think they're, they're one of those teams that's going to be competing for that six or seven seed. Uh, in the AFC playoff race. I think that's very realistic to say, especially with the way the team's playing right now. Now they do have a lot of tough games left. They have the Titans this week. Obviously they have the Bucks down the stretch, the Cardinals, the Bills. They need to steal one of those games. If they really want to make the wild card spot, which I don't know if they're going to be able to do, but uh, yeah, I think they're, they're more of like a mid tier team. I don't think they're, you know, top team, like the, like the Titans or heck even the Bengals right now. I mean, the Bengals are playing some really good football. Surprising. Yeah. Uh, you know, Zach, it really sounds like to me that Carson Wentz has played a lot better uh, over yeah. the last couple of weeks. And, and here they are sitting at three and four, um, you know, potentially trying to make a playoff push still, not only in the AFC South, but in the wild card picture as well. They've got this kind of cloud hanging over their head with that first round pick, right? Potentially going to the Eagles uh, if Wentz hits, I think it's 75% of snaps, right? This season, you, you probably know better. Uh, I, think than it's, I think it's. 70% if they make the playoffs, 75 if they don't. Yes, yeah, yeah, that is correct. So you kind of got that cloud hanging over them. You're hovering right around 500. How do you think this decision is made down the stretch? Because you imagine Chris Ballard is paying uh, very close attention to it. Yeah, you know, if you asked me a couple of weeks ago when they were one and four, the bottom looked like it was falling out for the Colts. There were a lot of issues. They had that heartbreaking loss on Monday Night Football against the Ravens. I definitely think that would be in the back of your mind. Like, you know, if this gets to a two and eight type of record and you're getting close to that week 13 is when you have to bench him, basically, then you, I think you would have to consider benching him. Uh, you have to save that first round pick if it's going to be a top 10 pick. Now, what we've seen in the last couple of weeks and the way that Wentz has played in the last four weeks now, you know, I don't see the Colts being that bad of a football team. Uh, they, they still play the Jaguars twice. They still play the Texans. Uh, they play the Jets on Thursday night football after this game against the Titans. So, I mean, those are probably four wins there. I mean, I, I'm not going to count one of those Jaguars. They always lose to the Jaguars, but you know, they're probably have, they can probably squeeze out another four or five, maybe six wins this year at, at the worst. Uh, and I think if you are sitting at like, you know, nine, say we're nine and eight team right now, uh, by the end of the year, you're probably sitting at 16th, 17th pick. I think you can be okay with that as long as Wentz playing the way that he's playing right now. Uh, I, I think you can live with that. Now, if, if the bottom does start to fall, let's say they get killed by the Titans uh, somehow the Jets beat them, stuff like that. Then, then you get to the point where it's like, okay, we got to consider the bench again. But I think as long as it's not a top 10 pick you're giving up and Wentz is playing well, like he's played these last couple of weeks, I, I think you're okay with the first round pick that you're giving up. But, you know, I'm, I'm on this, I'm obviously not a huge Carson Wentz guy going into the year. 
uh, I was pretty critical. I did a lot of film work stuff and I still was kind of iffy on him, but these last four weeks has been pretty good football from him. And, and I think we've seen a lot of good things. And, and if you finish this year playing this way, uh, I, I think you could be okay with giving up, you know, a mid first round pick for him. Did I wasn't aware of the schedule. Did you just tell me that we're going to get Carson Wentz against Joe Flacco on Thursday night football? Is that what we're getting in a couple weeks? <laughs> Joe Flacco or Mike White uh, next week. Oh yeah. God. Not, not this upcoming one. Obviously after this Titans yep. game, uh, we get the Jets and Colts on Thursday night football. Remind me not to watch it. Careful with your somehow if the Jets win, because we were saying the <laughs> <Yeah>. same thing. <laughs> To be fair, to be fair, I, I don't want to jinx myself here, but we at least have receivers going. We'll hopefully have some receivers going into that. And like losing to Zach Wilson's one thing, but losing to Mike White or Joe Flacco, <laughs> that would be completely different, I think. <laughs> it would somehow be worse. I don't think you're wrong. And we, we were all feeling pretty down a couple of weeks ago, but yeah, if it was Joe Flacco, we probably would have just ended this podcast because that is just... <laughs> Completely. Well, hey, Joe Flacco is elite. So <laughs> once elite. <laughs> uh, another thing, Zach, that I need from you, I'm curious to get the Colts perspective on what are a couple of matchups? And I, I know you're pretty familiar with the Titans, so I feel comfortable asking you this. What are a couple matchups or areas of the game um, that you think favor the Colts heading into this? You know, that's tough because I do think the Titans are one of the better teams in football. Uh, I'm not one of those delusional Colts fans. I think the Colts and and Titans are on the same level. I said it all, all all season going into the year. The Titans are competing for Super Bowl. They're throwing all their, you know, they're throwing all their guns at that, you know, going for that Super Bowl where the Colts are more of an evaluating year. Uh, but I do think, you know, up front it starts with DeForest Buckner and, and Grover Stewart. And even though the Titans have a good offensive line, I do think those two are two of the best in the league to do it. Uh, so matchup wise, you know, especially in the run defense, I know Derrick Henry is outstanding and and holding him to four, four and a half yards carry is a great feat at this point. Uh, but I think the Colts can do that like they did in the first matchup against the Titans where they held him to held him to four yards carry uh, in that one. I think the Colts do have the advantage when it comes to that trench play on, on offense, on Titans offense versus the Colts defensive line um, when it comes to run defense. I know that's very specific right there. Uh, then on the other side, you know, I think Michael Pittman Jr. Uh, with the way he's been playing lately against, uh, who is, is Jack Rabbit so your guys' number one corner? Yeah, or Christian Fulton, Fulton will miss. Fulton will miss this game again okay. with injury, so it will be Jack Rabbit. Yeah, so I would say Michael Pittman Jr. the way he's been playing, and I'll tell you, man, going into this year, I I, I was saying Michael Pittman Jr. a good wide receiver too. I, that's all I really thought, and for me, a, a, a bona fide number one wide receiver is a guy where when you need to get a big play, you need to convert, you need to throw the ball to someone, no matter what the coverage is, you're throwing to that number one guy. And that's been Michael Pittman Jr. This year. Uh, I'm not saying he's, he's obviously ascended to AJ Brown levels, even like he's not there yet, but whenever the Colts have needed a big play, they've gone to him and he's made some things happen. I think that's a guy, uh, especially, you know, given his success against the Titans last year when he was still a rookie. Uh, I, I don't know if he did anything in week three against you guys. I can't really remember off the top of my head, but, um, you know, he, he's just had a really, really strong year. Uh, and I think whoever's matched up on him, especially with the way that Frank Reich likes to use those crossers against the Titans, and he's done that the last couple of years to get some big plays, uh, I think that's a big matchup that the Colts can uh, hopefully exploit. And the Titans have struggled with some of those crossers, um, especially with, with their linebacker play. Uh, it's been better lately. But I remember the Colts had one drive specifically, Graver, in that week three game 
where they they just killed them with crosses from what I recall. And they went on a great drive, a great scoring drive that I remember uh, kind of tipping my cap to Frank Reich. It was, it was a terrific drive uh, by them. Mm-hmm. But that's great insight, especially that, you know, the interior of the D-line, Buckner, Grover, Stewart. Titans are banged up on the interior, man. Uh, Nate Davis hasn't played very well at right guard this season, especially in pass protection. Roger Saffold is getting hurt literally every single and week, leaving ben the game Jones for too. like two, three the, series, coming back. Both of them. Both of them. And then he's back the next game. He hasn't missed a game yet, but he has been hurt in every single game. I mean, the guy is a warrior. Ben Jones has been banged up a little bit at center as well, especially in the most recent game. So there, there are some areas there potentially for the Colts to exploit on the interior. Yeah, you know, it's not about stopping Derrick Henry. It's about holding him to what a normal running back's good day would be. So I think that <laughs> I think that's the goal here. And I, you know, I feel like the Colts, the Colts are one of the better run defenses in football over the last three or four years. Derrick Henry has been the one thing that's that's still been able to kill them, but he's done it to everybody. I think for the most part, they've had some decent success against him. And it starts up front with the with that interior duo. So uh, especially with the guys banged up on the inside, uh, I think Buckner and Grover uh, should have a, a clear advantage in that matchup. I'm also interested to see how the Titans stop the run in this game because the last two opponents they faced, the leading rusher for that opponent was the team's quarterback, Josh Allen two weeks ago <laughs> and Patrick Mahomes last week. But... I think that's because that's more about how those two teams play football than it is about the Titans being able to stop their running backs. Really. It felt like Kansas city even should have run the ball a lot more. I felt like Daryl Williams was ripping off five to 10 yard runs every time he touched it. So I feel like this could be a potential spot for Jonathan Taylor to continue emerging as an elite running back in this league. And uh, that worries me a little bit. (laughs) Any thoughts on that, man? He's, he's so good. <laughs> he early last year when he came in, there was a lot of concerns. I mean, I was part of it. I wasn't freaking out obviously, but like there, there were some issues with his vision. He was missing some holes. He wasn't setting up blocks the way that he needed to. Uh, but late last year, it obviously changed when he had that really easy part of his schedule, you know, Texans twice, Jaguars twice, you, anyone can run on them, obviously. Uh, <laughs> so then you get flash forward to this year and he looks like a completely different back when it comes to setting up plays. I mean, I, I posted some clips onto my Twitter if you guys want to check it, but uh, just the way that he sets up runs and they jump cuts to where he's supposed to be, it's just great manipulation of linebackers. So if you don't have a top line, I mean, even Fred Warner was was hitting wrong gaps uh, in this past game and getting hit by linemen. Taylor was breaking off for big runs. Uh, that along with, you know, Eric Fisher has been bad in pass protection this year, but he's been a really, really good run blocker. So he he's going to be in there. Quentin Nelson's back from injury. Uh, they've got Chris Reed now over at right guard who's playing some really, really good football. Uh, yeah, the offensive line, you know, for some of the issues they do have in pass protection this year, uh, these last couple of weeks, they've really stepped up in, in the run game. And, and Eric Fisher and Quentin Nelson this past game, I mean, they were driving defensive tackles five to ten yards off the line. Uh, it, it's insane. like, I'm not even exaggerating. Like it was five yeah. to 10 yards off the line, almost every yeah. play. Uh, so yeah, that, that could definitely be an area, especially, you know, Harold, Harold Landry's have an outstanding season, but if he's going to be over top of Fisher and, and Nelson getting those combo blocks on those duo runs, uh, that's definitely an area where even a defensive tackle is going to get it rolled out there. Harold Landry might go even farther than that, yeah. uh, despite how great he's played. So uh, yeah, that, that can be definitely be something. I think the Titans are going to sell out for that run. Uh, just knowing how the Titans are going to want to attack that, that strength there, but that should be a really, really good battle with how Taylor and the O-line's playing recently. If you guys want to check out those clips again, that's at Zach Hicks two on his Twitter timeline. Highly recommend 
following. I've been following Zach for years, despite his Colts uh, status <laughs> over there. Um, Zach, we really appreciate this. It's been great getting your insights here. We're going to wrap it up with one last question. What do you expect from this game? Maybe a score prediction if you're feeling bold, but general <laughs> expectations for game script in this one. You know, I, I expect the Titans to win just because I, I think the Titans are the much better football team and, and they're rolling right now. But just a part of me says this is the prime letdown game for the te- for the Titans. This is totally it. Could this be. is it. Two huge emotional wins against teams where before the year you would probably say, you know, Titans are probably dropping one, maybe both of these games. Home underdogs in both games. Yeah. 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 Now, now you're going to the Colts stadium uh, against a team that traditionally it's been a, it's been a struggle to win, you know, two games a year or even one game a year against the Colts. Uh, And Frank Reich always calls up a really good game plan despite what's going on. Eberflus uh, for the most part has some success against Tannehill, uh, more than most of the NFL blitzes so, him really well. Always yeah, seems to get pressure yeah, on him. Yeah. Uh, so although I think the Titans are the much better team, and I think they win part of me has that in the back of my mind where I think the Colts are going to have a really tough game here. I like, I, I don't know if, it, if the Colts are going to pull it off, but I, I do think the Colts are going to come out swinging uh, because they know, I mean, if they win this game, they're in it for the division. If they lose this, it's, it's probably done. Uh, so you have a desperate Colts team. That's a good team at home in the Titans, you know, coming off two big wins. I could definitely see it being like somewhat of a letdown game for the Titans and being a really tough game. But ultimately, again, I do think the Titans are the better team and they will come with the win. But um, I think it's going to be a really good game. Uh, I don't have a score prediction. I, you know, if I had to say I something like 31 to 28 or something like that, Titans, but I, I, I really do think it's going to be one of the better games of the week. I do think it's going to be close. I, I'll, yeah. I'll agree, great, you know, Graver as well, because – I just have a feeling it's going to be really physical, a game that's played in the trenches. And and as good as the Titans offense is, I have an odd feeling that it's not going to be a super high scoring game. Like I could see this being a, you know, even a 26, 20 or a 23, 20 type ball game. I don't know that either team crosses the 30 point mark. That's just an odd feeling that I have. I kind of feel that way too, actually. Yeah. Closely contested on the road. They've struggled to beat the Colts. They have, right? Colts are playing good football right now as well. Um, I, I do agree. I, I do think the Titans win, but man, it wouldn't shock me if they don't. <laughs> yeah, that's not right. where I am. Yeah, that's where I am. All right. Well, that will wrap up our conversation with Zach. Thanks again for joining us tonight. Remember, Zach Hicks, too. You can follow him on Twitter. I recommend following him during this game. Get some insight from the Colts sideline or uh, perspective anyway. Zach, we appreciate it. Wishing you the best of luck this weekend and the rest of the year. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Well, maybe maybe not this weekend, but the rest the rest <laughs> of the year. Graver's too nice. I'll just maybe the rest of the year. We we hope you don't get injured yourself this weekend, Zach. That's what Graver means. Man, I'm kind of being like Roger Saffold. Every time I stand up, I get hurt too. I feel <laughs> getting old, man. <laughs> All right. Hope you guys liked that interview with Zach Hicks. We appreciate his time again. Remember, you can follow him on Twitter at Zach Hicks too. Again, I've said it like five times already, but I highly recommend following and, him. And, and one thing that's been bothering me every time you say that, if you don't mind, you, you say it as if there's only one way to spell Zach. There's like 17 different ways to spell Zach. Well, so why don't you spell it for if us? If our lips are listening and they want to find him, how does he spell Zach? It's Z-A-C-H, the normal way. The normal way. But I mean, I, people spell it with a K. Some people spell it with just the C. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, Zach Moss spells it the wrong way. 
Zach with one C and no H or K. What are we even doing? I mean, that's got to be short for like Zacharias or something. <laughs> I love I like the Zach with no with, with, with that ends at C. I mean, that guy doesn't follow any rules and he does not conform. <laughs> I, I'm down with that, Zach. Um, yeah, so so uh, our Zach who joined us tonight is Z-A-C-H, the normal way. At me on Twitter if you disagree. <laughs> Uh, I love well, what we're going to ask you about is the Titans food room page. That's what we're going to ask you because you had another horrendous take this evening. Uh, I think you, I think even Will Compton disagreed, right? Uh, we'll get to that uh, another day, another time. Ho- hopefully <laughs> you all follow at Titans food room for my tremendous food takes uh, that have nothing to do with football. Before we end this podcast though, you sort of gave a score prediction there towards the end of Zach's appearance. Do you want to stick with your sort of, 20s. I mean, you didn't really give a definitive prediction. So what do you got? 26-20 Titans. Oh, that's very, very close to where I was thinking. I was going to go 27-21. And I am. That's what I got. 27-21. You price is right, asshole, huh? You go $1 (laughs) me on both. I go 26-20. He goes 27-21. Look at him. Well, technically, you're in the better position here because if uh, it's uh, highest without going over. So technically, I could have gone over. Um, All right. Last thing before we tie up this episode is we have a review to read, a shout out. We said we would shout you out, whatever you want us to shout out, if you leave us a five-star Apple review for Music City Audible Podcasts. And we got one from Peter Peter P. King left us this incredible review to shout out. Good analysis. Despite the lesser Justin's occasional verbal wrestling matches with the English language, the Titans analysis is very good. I can only assume that as the non-American on the podcast, you are the lesser Justin being referred to here. How could this be about me? I mean, how? read it again. I'm sorry, my English isn't all that strong. So read it one more time for me. Well, your English isn't all that strong? Let me read it one more time for you. Despite the lesser Justin's occasional verbal wrestling matches with the English language... The Titans analysis is very good. <laughs> we, we need to, add, can we add him and ask him which one of us he's talking about? It probably is me, but I, I'm hurt, shocked, offended, and hurt. <laughs> at, uh, I don't know his at, but Mr. Username on Apple, Peter P. King, if you could please post a tweet tagging at Justin M underscore NFL and at Titans Film Room explaining which Justin is the lesser Justin. We really need this settled because neither of our fragile egos can take being the lesser Justin. Yeah, I'm already, what kind of name is Peter P. King to begin with? I'm already in defense mode here. Well, it's obviously Peter King and his middle name is P. I never knew Peter King's middle name, but this is awesome. We got the Peter King reviewing our podcast. Sports Illustrated Peter King. Yeah, that the very same. I got to step my English game up. My apologies, you good American, sir. (laughs) Well, that is a good note to end it on, I think. Thanks to everyone for tuning in. Thanks to all of you who have left us five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate it. It helps the show continue to grow. Helps us continue to be able to get great guests like Zach Hicks, who joined us tonight and gave us some great insight into the Indianapolis Colts. That's all I got. 
Make sure you're going to broadwaysportsmedia.com for all your Titans coverage. Justin's got a great piece up right now grading every position group in the win over the Chiefs. Make sure you're heading over to broadwaysportsmedia.com. I already gave our Twitter ads there so that Peter Peking can can tag us so you guys know where to find us. Leave us a five-star review. And that is it. We'll be back next week to talk about the Titans-Rams Sunday night football game. Prime time. That'll be you're, exciting. You're going to be in attendance. I will be at the game. Thank you, Justin. So if you guys, if anyone listening out there is going to be there, hit me up on Twitter. I would love to meet you. I'd love to say hi in the parking lot beforehand or sometime. So let me know if you're going to that game. I have beef with Peter P. King. Can I just, can we end it on that? No, all my homies hate Peter P. King. <laughs> We're coming for you, Peter P. King, but at the same time, we very much appreciate the five-star review, prayer hands emoji. Thank you very much. That'll do it. Until next week, you guys stay safe out there and tighten up. A Broadway Sports Media Production.